support podcast with myself and Spiel and my ever-present co-host Jabu Mitzwa. Today we have with us a special guest that we both met at World Football Summit during South Africa last year in November and we enjoyed the panel where he discussed the power of analytics in sports and how we can grow the game both globally and in Africa. Jabu, who do we have for our audience today? A very prominent individual within the sports business in the US in particular with his work with Soccerlytics, but more and more within Africa, given his presence at the World Football Summit and our ongoing interactions um, as an individual who really has some great ideas on the use of data for growing markets like Africa. So today, it's such an honor to have the founder of Soccerlytics, Columbus Morfo. Columbus, it's such a pleasure to have you on the pod. Uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, it's been um, it's been a pleasure to to stay connected with you since we first met, and um, yeah, very excited to, to jump into the topics here. Um, congratulations, first of all, on your ever growing podcast and the work that you're doing. Um, thanks for having me. Thank you so much. That's very kind of you. So, Columbus, in your very early years, you worked at some of the biggest sports organizations within the U.S. and I think the world. You work very closely within the MLS for your internship early on in your career and some work as well with the U.S. Soccer Federation. How formative were those years in terms of shaping your passion and your drive for sports and data analytics? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I mean, I think, I think, it, I think it's, it's helpful to, to take a step back um, and just think about sort of, you know, your career trajectory, not just as an isolated component of your life, but really more so as a, a um, as an integrated part of your life, right? And so um, I think it's helpful for me to share the fact that I was, I was born in Rome. I grew up in Italy to Cameroonian parents, right? And so obviously Italy and Cameroon are both very soccer mad nations. And, and so I was, you know, I was five years old when the World Cup came to, to Italy in 1990. And I remember Cameroon doing very well back then. I got into the quarterfinals, first African nation to do that. And, and, and in some ways, in those early years of my life, um, I caught the bug of just, just this, not just the sport as a fun sport to follow, but also just the power it had, right? You know, the pride that I had in being Cameroonian in Italy, all the people, all my Italian friends who, and my parents' friends who maybe had never heard of Cameroon, but then saw this country come into the World Cup and beat Argentina and do all that. And you just kind of see how, you know, on a very just visceral level, you learn about the world, you learn about, you know, cultures um, and the World Cup and soccer has a way of doing that um, in a very, very meaningful way. Um, so I was in Italy till I was 10. Uh, my dad retired from the UN and moved back to Cameroon and I lived with the middle school and high school in Cameroon and again played soccer, you know, in, on, on dirt fields and, you know, in Bavenda in Cameroon. And, and again, very formative in terms of um, just, different culture, different country, different language, but yet there was an ability to get to, for me to integrate into my own society. Um, and that was very much facilitated by playing the game. Uh, moved to the U.S. I was lucky enough to, to get a soccer scholarship. So I played Division One soccer um, here in the U.S. So while going to school, I'm very familiar with the, the student-athlete system, NCAA, uh, which we might talk about later. Um, so, but I, so I got my degree, didn't go professional or anything like that. Um, and so I worked, I went to Minneapolis and I worked for Target Corporation, um, doing pricing analytics. Um, I did some negotiations. I was a merchandise buyer. So I moved up to General Mills and I was a product manager, um, a brand manager, more specifically for uh, for cereal, um, Cheerios. 
And the reason I mentioned this, so this whole directory is because, you know, like soccer takes you to university, you study, you figure out what I'm going to do. You start working, you got some good experience. And for me, after seven years of working, it became pretty clear that, you know, the work was, I studied math, the work was intellectually stimulating, but not emotionally engaging. And and to me, what I'm doing today and what I, what I knew that and it's coming true um, increasingly every day is in order for me to sort of maximize my full potential, I need to really be engaged and love what I'm doing. And at that point in time, I started to realize, okay, like if I'm going to go into football, what am I going to do? Like I knew there was the business side of it. I knew there's analytics. I knew there's different components, but I didn't just blindly want to jump into to say, I want to work in football. I was like, how can I actually add the most value? So that took me first to the idea of, as a sort of math major, I was like, okay, like A, being a math major, but B, being in a country where the application of data and analytics into sports is way is advanced, right? You can think about the, you know, baseball and the sort of the money ball revolution, you think about basketball um, and the whole three-point revolution as well. There's, there's lots of different examples that just, you know, that were more established. And then obviously in soccer, there's been companies for the longest time, you know, Opta, you know, now StatsBomb and... You know, there was, there was a way to understand sort of what had happened and what's the opportunity that exists for the future. And that's essentially what I've never stopped doing for 10 years, like understanding what exists, what opportunities are not yet tapped into in terms of data analytics, and what are the opportunities that people understand the issue. Maybe there is data, but there the solution hasn't been found yet, right? And then how do you work with the organizations that have both the resources and the willingness to figure out how to, how to tap into that? And so that was my own sort of personal research on a more sort of practical business school slash work for a company uh, vantage point. Uh, my initial step was to transition um, and work for either Major League Soccer um, or the U.S. Soccer Federation. So what I did was I was able to take an internship at, one, at Wasserman during school because it was here in New York. And I was able to, again, just learn, like, you know, you watch the games and you see sponsorship, you see, whether it's the sponsorship of a team or, you know, the sponsorship of the U.S. Open or tennis. And like, it just never understood that. So that, that was actually a really good internship just in terms of understanding when a tennis competition is trying to figure out how to monetize more. You know, I'm a tennis competition here in the U.S. And I know that there's the Roland Garros and the Australian Open. And here's how much they make a sponsorship. We believe that we can be maybe not quite there, but we need we can be 50 X percent of it. So what's the process of trying to value you know, your, your tennis tournament in terms of like, here's the, the, the reach, here's the, the fan base, here's the, 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 the here's what you're giving on TV. Um, so how do you sort of package that in the right way and then go talk to, you know, Rolex or whoever else and say, hey, Rolex, if you're willing to give for honor of this, would you want to give us this? And like that, that whole process of sort of sponsorship um, strategy, but also the execution uh, was, was very good to learn there. Um, good stepping stone into... <clears throat> An internship with the U.S. Federation, and this is 2015 when we hosted the uh, we the, the U.S. hosted Copa America Centenario, um, and I got to work on a project that actually just helped us figure out how to maximize revenue in terms of understanding, you know, if Chile is playing against Brazil and then Mexico is playing against Argentina, like you know, like what are their what's their, what's the best way to schedule the games in terms of time, but also location to maximize revenue right? and understanding, and some of it is is, is you know was just using Facebook data, right? So if it was face Facebook data, Twitter data. So if, you know, the Brazilian Federation has, I'm making this up, 2 million followers on Twitter, like where are they based in the US? And how do you understand like that demographic? Um, also just like census data, like where are they? Like, I didn't know at the time there was a huge Brazilian population in Boston, for example, I just didn't know that. Um, but you learn that and then, you know, so you put a Brazil game there and then like they all come out and they fill out the stadium and. Um, obviously you sell, you sell all the same, but also like it's also just a good experience on TV, et cetera. Um, so that was a cool little project that I did. 
Um, and that then took me to my first full-time job when I graduated from school, which was with, with Major League Soccer. Uh, it was really it's Major League Soccer, same office, but technically Soccer United Marketing, which is the marketing arm of Major League Soccer. Um, but that also became independent in terms of the fact that it became one of the more prolific agencies in just marketing soccer. And so managed the commercial rights, not just for Major League Soccer, but also for the U.S. national team, which is a separate entity of the federation uh, at the time. It's not the case anymore, but at the time. And then also, um, you know, Contact Cash Championship, many properties. Um, and so I managed the commercial rights for the U.S. national team on behalf of, of, of soccer and marketing. And that was a really good entry point, right? Because you have a vision of what you want to do long term. But you have to ask yourself the question, how do you add the most value, right? And so that was, and that's as somebody who was a brand manager who knew the game on some level, um, that first job was more akin to my past experience. Like, how do you think about the U.S. Soccer Federation, the national team, the men and the women as, as a brand? And how do you think about how to maximize value of that brand, right? You have the revenue stream for sponsorship, digital media, you know, TV, um, consumer products, right? So how do you take each of those revenue streams? And then work with the stakeholders who are experts in those specific departments to maximize revenue, um, and then manage a PNL. Um, so setting strategy, setting long-term goals, um, and then working back into the stepping stones that you that you take to, to achieve those goals. Um, so I did that for two and a half years, and that was all commercial. And I said, okay, like I've, I, I feel like I felt at the time I had gotten a good grasp of the commercial side, and what I cared about the most was 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 the, the the playing side of things, you know, the players and what's happening on the field. Um, and as it turns out, MLS is single entity. So really when LA Galaxy signs this lockdown, really it's MLS that signs every single player. So every single c- contract is deposited with the league office. So there's a team um, that at the time was c- composed mostly of lawyers, except for me, um, whose job was essentially to, to negotiate those contracts, right? So, so the, each team does their individual scouting um, the idea their players to bring them at the end of the day, the contract itself is 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 finalized and negotiated with the league office. Um, and so I joined that team and helped them put a strategy in place to help the league think about MLS, MLS's player pool almost as as managing the asset value of player pool. Right, if, if the league is growing and we're bringing in better players and the level is getting higher, then what that means is that the, the the asset value of the player pool in total, but also per team, should be getting better. Right. If we go from a level where we're getting a player we've never heard of to now we're getting, you know, a player who was a, who won the World Cup with Argentina, for example. Tego Almada is a player who was with Argentina, who's here. He's still, he's not even 23 yet, I don't think. Um, and he's here. You know, Almiron would be an example of the type of player that uh, wouldn't necessarily have been a player that we looked at in the past, but at the time wasn't a, a household name. At the time when he might have moved to, you know, say France or, um, or Italy or Spain, he came to the U.S., did well for Atlanta, and then now he's in Newcastle um, doing quite well and has been for a while. So, again, there's lots of strategies that we put in place. You hear about DP, TAM, you know, you're homegrown, a lot of designations that, you know, if you're not familiar, don't look like they mean a lot, but they're just a way of, of, of managing the evolution of the league and bringing in different types of players. Um, and a lot of what I put in place is you're just uh, just frameworks um and tool sets that help us assess what we're doing and assess whether it's working um and then ultimately deciding okay like let's course correct now like let's like let's introduce this different type of player with different type of 
profile age, you know, U22, whatever the case may be. Um, and then, and then obviously continuing to do that. But at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's a growing league, right? It's a growing league. It's doing really well. Um, so yeah, so that, that's, that was my journey with it. And, um, I guess I'll just, I've been talking for a while. I'll, I'll leave it at that and then we'll jump into some more questions. Fantastic, Columbus. I like how you've given a very story-like description of your journey in sports, especially from the first point of contact with like, the playing side to you then entering the business side. And for you finding a way to get back into the playing side through analysis, because, well, that was always your first love with it. Just like we say on the podcast, we are, you know, the word business, sports business is in our name. And we are also very passionate about how the business of sport really makes the on-pitch activities a success time and time again. It's clear for listening to you that one can articulate the connection, what made you start to connect it's all the individual things that came together. However, take us to that point in your life where you realize, okay, I need to start the analytics. I'm going to start it now. What is the mission, vision, the core principles, and the value behind the analytics? Absolutely. No, that's a good question. Um, and that builds almost perfectly from, from where I was, right? And so coming out of that role, player relations, um, in Major League Soccer. So that's my second role. So I, I spent five years total from, let's just say, 2015 to 2020. So it was right around November 2020 is when I left the league to, to start Soccer Leagues. And, and the, the thinking was, was twofold. One was I always had this idea. I started the blog Soccer Leagues even before I even moved to New York for business school. Right? So I always knew that I was going to end up trying to do my own thing. And then a lot of even going into MLS, that was like learning. It's like, here's an idea. Here's a league that is growing. It's doing well. I'm going to learn some things. I'm going to do my best and at the most value. But I always knew that it was a stepping stone to sort of um, doing my own thing. Also, for, for many reasons, including the fact that I knew that I wanted to take a lot of the knowledge and the, and the, the learning back to, 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 to the motherland, which is Africa. Um, so that was, you know, like that was that was in my mind the whole time. Um, on a more sort of tactical level, at the, at the time when I left, it was like, okay, I was, you know, I again at the, at coming on two and a half years in player relations, it became clear that you know there's a lot of value to be added. By starting my own company, one of the things I was able to do was go from working with every team, which was good because but the, the, but the challenge was, you know, because I worked for the office, everything that I produced had to be equally distributed to everybody, which was which which makes sense for the league and and um, but what it also but what it did is, you know, I knew for example there were you know a handful of clubs, general managers that were more interested in using more of what I was doing. I was like, okay, in my mind, if I could spend more time with just a handful of clubs doing bigger projects like that would actually, I would learn more, I would add more value to those clubs individually, and it would just be a better situation all around. So like that was one thing I was able to do is, is to spend more time with individual clubs. The other thing I was able to do was work with clubs outside of MLS. So I obviously have a background group in Italy. So I, you know, I had contacts um, throughout Europe and was able to work almost immediately with clubs based in Europe. Um, and then now in Africa as well, that was part of like how I came to sort of connect with you guys um, was was part of it was going to Africa and meeting more clubs there understanding what's going on in South Africa with the league and understanding what the opportunities might be um, there. Now, there's a practical value proposition um, and mission, if you like, which is, uh, which is to help soccer teams use data for better decision making, right? And if you think about the big decisions in soccer, it's mostly in player recruitment at the highest level, like, you know, they're making it, if you're going to buy a player $50 million, like you might as well get the right player. So put to recruitment and that's the coaching style, your game model, 
how do you make sure that when you're scouting players, you understand the profiles and, and you use data to minimize the risk in finding the player that's going to fit into your system, et cetera. And then, and then obviously, there's a, I think a smaller value you add with data, which is opposition analysis, performance analysis, which is very important, but just on, a, on, a, on an ROI standpoint, probably not as big as what you can do in the transfer market. And then on a sort of less obvious level, the mission ultimately is to use this data to, to really close the gap between the top and bottom of the game. And I mean that generally, but obviously, you know, we're, you know, on the, we're in the Africa Sports Business Podcast, and so, and so is the top is also thinking about Africa, right? So like, how do you use the new technology, new relative to 20 years ago, obviously, that exists on players to facilitate the visibility and the movement of talented players from Africa to Europe, as an example, to North America, to wherever there's, you know, there's opportunity. But then also within the league itself, as South African League and leagues throughout Africa grow, how do you how do you create an ecosystem, even just within Africa, where like players don't necessarily need to go to Europe per se, because there's, there's, you know, highly organized and highly, highly paying leagues in, in, in across the continent. And there already are, right? South Africa's a good league. You know, you can see the North Africa, there's, there's, you know, across, you know, Egypt and Algeria, Tunisia. And then obviously this, you know, you can sort of go through the continent and kind of see the different sort of leagues and different levels. You know, I think as an example, Uganda, that uh, was an interesting market, interesting sort of league level, as well as others, you know, Zambia. So there's, a, there's huge potential and the belief of soccer analytics is the implementation of data-driven ways of operating is going to be helpful to facilitate the movement of players in terms of player development within those leagues, increasing the quality of play within those leagues quicker, but then increasing, accelerating player development, right? So like, again, what are the, the technologies that actually help a 17-year-old develop into the best version of themselves that they could possibly between 17 and 19, as opposed to if the methods, the nutrition, the, the sporting strategy was was not as organized as it could be, right? So there, there's a few different ways, there's a few different aspects where data can play a role. And then also on the business side, how do you maximize the commercial potential of any club across the continent, of any league? Because ultimately doing that well, bringing in TV revenue, maximizing sponsorship ultimately is what allows you to to A, bring in the player, the best players that are available to you. And, and then while they're there, to give them the best player development opportunities, best coaching, give them the, essentially the best environment to, to, to develop the best version of themselves. And then, you know, for those who end up going to France and in the, you know, Italy, the top five leagues in the world, great. And then for those that don't, to have an ecosystem where they can have a, a, a great career, a great living within the continent. Columbus, you've worked with a plethora of clubs as you've mentioned there. I'd mentioned some of them. Spezia, St. Louis City were doing extremely well in their first season in the MLS. Atlanta United, Sounders, Orlando City, as well as the San Jose Earthquakes. Through different consulting services like game model implementation, long-term strategy, what has been your experience of practically facilitating those interactions and those engagements, those, those clubs? What have your lessons been in terms of engaging these new clubs and educating them around the use of data analytics within their operations? Yeah, I think what been my experience, I would say, just in general, is it's really important to to understand the market within which you're operating, to understand the culture, culture meaning the extent to which the culture embraces analytics or doesn't, as a starting point. Because, you know, what you'll find a lot of throughout the industry is clubs who have the economic potential to invest in all kinds of analytics tools and even people... But then, because they can afford it, and it's you know it almost it does. And from a financial standpoint, it doesn't really affect them as 
really at all. But then if you're if you're if you're a believer in analytics and in terms of its ability to help you make better decisions, it doesn't really scratch your itch in the because well because a lot of those clubs, you know, they make they make those investments, but then when you look at them five years down the line and you try to figure out like what are some of the decisions that have been made that are different, like what are some of the approaches to building a squad or any component of the of the sporting side or the business side, there's, there's different. Oftentimes, there's not a good answer, right? And so, you know, as I try to think about your question specifically, I would say, listen, on the on the, on the MLS side, here you have a culture that's really from the ownership down of, of data, right? So you're looking at an owner, in most cases that, you know, in, in many cases, owns an NFL team, an NBA team. Um, so before coming into MLS, they already had data analytics teams, and they, they, there's, there's not really a convincing job at all in terms of, like, they, they kind of already know that. And so with them, it was more with those type of MLS clubs is very much benchmarking also because because a single entity is like it's very much understanding, okay, like here's what here's the what the staff looks like within every club. You have a GM, then you have the performance director, and then you have the nutritionist. Like what is like what does that look like across each club? And with the St. Louis, right? Like MLS is also unique in that it's expansion, right? So you have a new owner coming in, and obviously as they go into their first season, what they get to do is work with the league office to understand what all the teams look like on average. And the, obviously there's a limit to what you can share, but there's a, there's a healthy way of, of aggregating all the information that exists within the league. And then using that as, as guardrails for each club um, to understand how they want to approach it. doesn't mean that, you know, if you're club X, you have to do exactly what other clubs did, but it just means you understand the extent to which different clubs have invested in analytics in this case. And that's everything from, is it just a bad analyst or do they have, that would be a senior director of analytics with a team of three people. Um, and then how do they use second spectrum data or do they not use it um, versus opta data, whoever the providers at the time. Um, and so with them, it's been a lot of, with MLS clubs, it's been a lot of just understanding how to staff up. What is the infrastructure that is going to set you up ultimately um, to make the most of the data that's available within MLS, within the contract of MLS, with the type of fees we pay for players, et cetera. As you look to European clubs, um, it's a lot different. Even though you know a lot of the work I do is with with European clubs owned by American folks. Who so again, so there's not really a lot of selling in terms of the use case of analytics, but it's really more so like what's the best way to integrate analytics and data into the processes that already exist in a club that is is already operational. It already runs well. Um, before they acquired it, right, with folks who may or may not be as inclined to 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 embrace this, so like, so so, what's the right methodology? What's the right um, pace to introduce certain components to bring in new people? Um, do they work together with the current folks or not, etc.? Um, and so it's, it's it's really case by case, right? But at the end of the day, ultimately, you know, again, it's 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 what are the tools available? you want to invest in and what are the people um the in terms of experience and in terms of just like the number of people that you want to put that you want to um invest in uh to bring this life within your club setup and then it's how do you connect that to you know the biggest things which are one your player recruitment and in some cases your coaching recruitment but then then two just performance analysis and opposition analysis analysis of your own players and player development um and how do you just you know how do you implement that and document things in a way that, um, you know, over a period of time, you can actually have some sort of point of view on measuring the return. Right? So if you invested in tools and the people, 
you know, how do you how do you look back at it five years later um, or two years later and and develop a solid point of view um, that says that the, the, the investment in that information um, in the infrastructure paid off? Columbus, it's quite fascinating to understand what the different areas of concern and for lack of knowing, for lack of, but actually saying here to concern the, the regions for growth, potential growth between the US and in Europe, and even for Africa here, you know how the US developed step up in Europe, they had a form of new transition, which are an already very operational system. What do you think African clubs may need when talking about analytics with regards to their functions, the football inside and everything? Because I'm sure you know very well what the general consensus is on the current stage of operation of football club across the continent. I mean, there are a few people who stand out like Momolodi Sandown and some big clubs in Egypt like Ali and the rest, but majority of them do not necessarily have the capacity to bring the analytics to move on to the next level. So what do you think African teams need to focus when coming to, to the conversation of analytics so that it's not just one where we have to do it to look good and we are doing it to improve our operations in the end? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. I think, you know, I think it looks it looks a lot different in South Africa even than it does in, say, Cameroon, right? But, so there's, there's a distinction there in terms of and what I mean by that is, you know, South Africa as an example, you know, the league is more evolved, it's been around a, a lot longer. You mentioned Sundowns, you know, but even like Orlando Pirates, I, I was on a panel um, during the conference at which we met and titles of the, of the head of performance you know, one of the guy, I guess one of them was from Orlando Pirates and, and one of them was from uh, Sundowns, right? So roles like that, I don't believe exist in most clubs in Cameroon. Let's just, I'm just, you know, that's one country, but like, you know, if you go to PWD in Cameroon, like, you know, a, a league with obviously a lot of potential and it's growing and I believe it's going to get better. Just as an example, they don't have that position. And then the reason they don't have that position because they're in the journey of the growth of the league, they're not there yet. Like, I guess the simplest way to think about it is like, you know, whether it's MLS, South Africa, or Cameroon, like you don't, you're probably not investing in data before you have the players, right? And so there's always, there's a, there's, a, there's like a, there's a journey you go on. So you, you know, you, you build the team, you have a coach, there's, there's, there, there are more things you consider, the things you consider more essential that clubs focus on. And so I think, again, it comes back to understanding where each club is um, in their journey, understanding what their potential is in terms of their budgets. Like, I guess, you know, you do need the these investment. And then it's a mindset also. It's like my mindset of believing that the investment in certain tools and certain personnel that help you use those tools in your process of, of operating as a football team, whether that's in your, in your recruitment or in your performance analysis, is actually going to help you improve and help you win games, right? So I think, I think for if I'm talking to any club in the continent, I, it's really understanding sort of like trying to understand like where they are in their journey, trying to understand where they are in their mindset. Because some of, some of it is it's not wrong or right. Like, you know, I think that even if you look across Europe, you know, not every culture across Europe embraces, you know, data or believes in the value out of data um as much as the next culture and that's something that you, you gotta understand that like you know I, you know i you know and, and the application and the the willingness to embrace um data in holland and germany is very different than it is in italy or spain as an example um, 
a lot of that it could be um language you know like i find the countries that are like for example speak english where people most people speak english are more likely to engage with it because a lot of the data the opt the, the, the traditional most established data providers um a lot of the language of what they do is is in is in is in english and so that just makes it more likely for you know clubs in england or holland or germany um to 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 embrace it compared to say at least Spanish portugal you know that's just my own observation that i made um out there but so i think to answer your question it's 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 on the continent it's really just understanding the mentality and where clubs are but then it's also understanding like, what's available is there even data right so like a lot of the work i'm doing now is like really just getting you name the league or the you know in africa to even have the data that's available in in different parts of the world right and a lot of that is 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 infrastructure of the stadium being able to install the cameras that will help you capture the video that will then enable you to go take that video and do the analysis and, and tag the data and provide, you know, so there's a whole process that exists, right? And so, and the good news is it's, it's been done for us. So if you're, and I work with companies um, that are more of the, of the, of the experts on this to, to, to then say, hey, okay, if we get video from this league and then we're able to to code it, um, is that something that we can do? And, and then the answer generally is yes, but then you have to still go case by case um and my obviously right now on the whole for the african continent you know for its potential which is very significant obviously is is it's it's really just starting with getting video i mean getting getting you know the, the game but not right like not just the top league right another you know like if you think about youth leagues across the continent where there's a very talented players really just getting quality video of those games um, and then going through the process of IDing the players, tagging them, and then you can say, okay, like here's these players' stats that you know based on that video. Uh, but just doing that sounds basic, but it's actually not you know that basic. It just it just takes time. You need the, the technology, you need the people who are going to do it. Um, but even doing that across the concept, I think that just goes a long way to that visibility component of, of giving those players a, a high opportunity of being being ID'd and discovered, so to speak. And then obviously there's the the video scouting and then the live scouting that follows that process anyway. Um, but it starts there. I couldn't agree more, Columbus. And we actually had a conversation with uh, the managing director of Capitalized Media, Calvin White, and one of their primary clients is Super Sports Schools. And they've done an excellent job in doing more in terms of visibility for school sports streaming those games, having them up there for analytics purposes. They use Pixelot AI technology to facilitate that entire operation. I think also on a lower scale, and this is where the question comes from, for lower league clubs across the continent, and I'll say in South Africa in my case, because that's where I've experienced it the most, is recently at um, the club at and Golden City Football Club, we started with the season streaming our games in terms of having them on video and available to the coaches afterwards for analytics. So that starts with just an iPhone camera, which is good enough, a small tripod and just, you know, filming the whole game. So these are the limitations and the constraints that clubs within the continent are facing. So how would you advise clubs to sort of overcome these constraints? As you said, there's a limited availability of data. So what questions do club owners and club administrators around the continent ask themselves before they even come to a consulting firm like Socialytics around how they're using data and how that can improve just using small steps 
Yeah, I think it's. I think the question first is is okay. Like, what a you know, if you're starting out from the beginning, it's like, how do we? How can data help us improve? Right, and and I think that you know, on average, that will be on recruiting, on player development, on performance analysis. Right. Okay, what data do we have? Right. In some cases, there may, depending on what country you're talking about, there might be data available. Or you can go to Opta and just, you know get the data on your own players in your own league. Do opposition analysis, analyze your own players. Um, and if the answer you thought you mentioned lower leagues, if the answer is okay, we don't even have that data, then it's okay. Well, can we get that data? Um, how do we get that data? And that in, in many cases, it starts with even with the iPhone or or with the you know very with fairly affordable cameras capturing capturing video. Um, and at the end of the day, guys, like opposite, you know, a lot of these fancy terms, like. <laughs> You know, opposition analysis. A lot of it is essentially it's, it's just it's watching, it's art and science of watching enough tape, video of your opposition, having a synthesized way of understanding your opponent's strengths and weaknesses, and then having a synthesized way of communicating that with the coaching staff and then eventually to the players in a way that increases the probability of winning the game. <laughs> Right, so you go into the game, and now you're more informed about the strengths, so you can stop them, and the weaknesses, so you can attack them of the other team. So that that's really what it is, right? And so, if you don't have video of your opposition, then you really can't do that, right? So, 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 so again, and that's where some of the structural components of like you know, can the league help? Like, can the league help? with getting making video available for everybody and then providing other teams because ultimately that's going to help the entire tide rise is something to consider but if you're talking about to your point a club without it it's okay how do we get the data right and it starts with the tape and then hiring the, the video now the video analyst who's going to go and watch the tape and if there's data you get this video analysis and there's data analysis right so you can convert video into data but that's a long term expensive process um so it's, it's working on what you do have and then obviously that's for the you know for winning sort of games near term and then longer term obviously it's can you can you figure out solutions to get more data that'll help the, if you've established you need more data to do what you want to accomplish how do you go how do you get that over time um that, i mean that's really it and then obviously you know depending on where you scout you know if you're a south african team maybe you focus your scouting on the leagues that do have data just because if you want to be really data focused like maybe you don't you know you decide that you're only going to use um you got to focus the majority of risk scouting in areas where you have the data that you believe is going to help you minimize risk in the players that you bring in, um, but that could be limiting, right? And so, so I always say soccer. They, to me, soccer shouldn't data shouldn't revolutionize soccer per se. I think the the, the traditional who plays here, we heard, go watch him, um, go watch him, go see if he's a player that you want to bring in, and you bring him in. That process to me never changes. Data can help you figure out who that player is quickly. Um, I guess the, the, the whole thing, you know, like huddle Y scout, they'll tell, I mean, before Y scout, I guess as an example, it coaches or scouts, I should say in, in Europe would go to what you would hear about a player in Brazil, let's just say, and they would just go <laughs> to Brazil to go watch the player for the, for the first time. And maybe the player was injured, whatever like that, but, and they just, and then, and then if he was injured, so you wasted money and your scout went there and then he didn't even watch the player and he came back. So. But now that's all. That's a, a lot of what that is doing is just helping a your 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 ability to pinpoint whether it's in Brazil or anywhere in the world a player that you think you want to highlight. You know, like data creates a funnel for you that helps you sort of quickly zone in on that player. And then now you can watch the player on Y Scout with video, 
10 times as many times as you need to and then you make that trip right so you still make the trip but then like, your ability to go to the right game and to watch the right player is is, is that much more, it's richer you already know a whole lot more about the player and then now when you go there you're focused your ability to then spend time focusing on what you want to focus on in watching the player and then and then helping that inform ultimately that that's where you're going to go for or not is kind of what this comes down to right and so again in 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 africa it's going to be just what's available and if it's not available how do we make it available as quickly as possible um and then how do we sort of gradually integrate what's available and what we can make available into our current process which is which again is traditional and shouldn't really never change it's really just more using you know there's data is just one component right data analytics just one component of 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 information look at and and if you integrate that well then what it does is it helps you reduce error increase the value of your team win more games etc that we have folks such a powerful conversation with columbus morford thank you so much for coming on the podcast to share all your insights and vibration no, thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you for all the great work that you guys are doing. I'll leave you with just like one sort of interesting fun fact is I saw, I was reading the other day that um, I think it might be by, by 2030, Nigeria by itself is going to have more kids under the age of 25 than all of Europe put together. All right. So that's just one country, right? It just speaks to the the potential of the continent, right? Which which gets me very excited. Um, and when I think about that, I say, like, okay, like, well, if soccer, you know, is going to benefit from that, and I imagine that is going to play a huge role, right? And saying, of all, of all these kids, like, how do we put them? Obviously, some of it is just like coaching and development, but I think that is going to have a huge role in, in connecting these kids to opportunities um, within the continent um, and, and across the across the world. And so, um, I appreciate the conversation. Thank you guys for having me, and uh, keep keep up the good work. To our audience, thank you for giving us your time and enjoying this episode to meet again.